This morning, Easter Sunday, I want you to know that the message of Easter is good news for those who are tired. Anybody in here feel tired? <laughs> uh, now, you've come to a sermon, so sermons are famous times to rest. You know, people catch up on their sleep during my sermons. I know, I know how this works. You come in feeling tired. You might feel like my friend on the screen up here. Uh, that may describe your life right there, like you just feel like that. Or, or maybe you like the next image better. Uh, that's, that's you right there, like you just feel tired. We live in a world where people are so tired, and not the good kind of tired after a good day of work or exercise, not the kind of tired that you recover from with a good nap or a vacation. Friends, we live in a world where people are exhausted. They're exhausted from work, they're exhausted from technology, they're exhausted from relationships where people wear them out, uh, don't look at anybody or, or you know, blame anybody for that right now, but, but relationships exhaust us, especially relationships that aren't going well. People are exhausted because of the last two years. We can't overlook the, the impact, the pain of the last two years and this sense of tiredness and exhaustion that, that sits on people's shoulders. People are exhausted because of crises in life. Like, you feel like you're just never able to catch up. There's one thing after another that's coming at you, and it's this feeling of a weight on your shoulders, of just being tired all the time, of being exhausted. We, we live in, in that kind of world right now. Kids, uh, I was going to bring a balloon out here on stage, but I just knew it would pop and cause some terrible distraction, so I didn't bring it. But you think about that game that you play with the balloon in the living room where you try to keep the balloon in the air and not let it hit the ground, and then you add another balloon, another balloon. Or, or the magician spinning the plates. Like you get one plate spinning. I sure wasn't going to try this on stage, but uh, you get one plate spinning, and then you spin another plate. Kids, that's how your parents feel 99% of the time. Like, trying to keep the balloons in the air, trying to keep, keep the plates spinning, and we just, we just feel exhausted. People who study these type of things, people who study exhaustion and people who study how we approach time, they identify a couple of times in history, a couple of points in history where this really changed. The year 1370 was the year when the first public clock was displayed in Cologne, Germany. So those of you who are always late to everything all the time, you can blame the year 1370 for all of your problems. Because in 1370, the first clock was put out so that people would be able to divide up time in, in that way. You think of the late 19th century and the Industrial Revolution and the invention of the light bulb. And now, day and night no longer mattered like they did before. You had the light bulb, which means you can work all the time. You can stay up late. You can do things like that. 2007, digital revolution, smartphone. Think about the way the smartphone that's meant to take work away from us just adds exhaustion to our lives because of, of things like this. Microsoft did a study a couple of years ago that the average attention span, and this study is on the internet, so we know it's true, so just stick with me, but uh, Microsoft did a study a couple of years ago that the average attention span has dropped to eight seconds. The attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds, so we have dropped in attention span, according to the study, below a goldfish, because we're just constantly checking our phone or something's happening around us, and, and it creates, after a while, this sense of exhaustion. 
A famous and really funny uh, study comes from 1967 when a report was made to a Senate subcommittee saying that by the end of the 20th century, we would be working 22 hours per week and 27 weeks per year because of how technology was going to change everything. If you're working 22 hours per week and 27 weeks per year, we need to talk. Like, I need to know something about that because that is not the direction things have gone. Uh, sleep schedules. Before the, 20, before the uh, 1900, people slept 11 hours a night on average. How incredible does that sound? Like, 11 hours per night on, on average. Early 1900s, it drops down to nine hours. The most recent sleep study put the average adult sleep under seven hours per night. Friends, we're just, we're just tired. And, and it's a type of tiredness that often comes with anxiety. I love this meme that's on the screen here. Uh, this identifies my life. When someone asks you how your night went, I didn't get much sleep, but I did get a few hours of anxiety in. Um, like, I feel that. I feel that, that weight. And, and those of you who have teenagers know they open up about all the important questions in life around 1030, 11, 1130 at night. All the important things you want to talk about, they want to talk about then. And so then you have this hour or two-hour conversation. And then as the parent, you lay awake for five hours thinking about the weight of this on, on your shoulders. We, we feel this. And all of this would be somewhat funny, except that it's not. Because exhaustion carries huge, huge consequences. Physically, what it does to our bodies in, in terms of health Think about how exhaustion impacts your relationships with people around you. Just about every one of my most regretful parenting, marriage, friendship moments has been because I was tired. We're tired, and then we say something we regret, we do something we regret, we let exhaustion flow into how we treat people around us. Exhaustion impacts us emotionally and mentally. The studies are absolutely terrifying that come out about how teenagers are experiencing this huge weight of exhaustion that, that often leads to lack of purpose, lack of direction in life. They, they just feel tired all the time, and so it's hard to be motivated. It's hard to think about what's going on in life. With that said, I just want to jump to the conclusion here. <laughs> I'm not finished. I'm just giving the conclusion early. Easter is such good news in this kind of world. For people who are tired and exhausted, Easter is the good news. There's a quote on the screen from Paul David Tripp where he says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is why I can sleep at night. Because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done for you and what he is doing in you, are we gonna feel tired at times? Sure we are. Do we live in a world that is exhausting? Absolutely we do. But that does not define our lives. Because of Easter, because of the message we're going to talk about today, in a world where people are exhausted, there is rest. The Easter message this morning is about rest and peace and hope that comes because of Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way through, Jesus' disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now you see that word Sabbath there, and, and it connects to that Old Testament idea, the, the command that's given to, to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a Hebrew word that means to pause or to rest. 
but it's also connected to the Hebrew word for the number seven. And so every seven days, this, this pattern of rest, of pausing, of taking a break from work. And we know that from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus constantly gets into controversies and battles with the religious leaders. So he's getting into a conflict with them over these questions of who's in charge and how do we live in the world. And the conflict that you're going to see this morning in this story is how do we handle time? How do we think about Sabbath? How do we think about these laws that, that have been given? And this concept of Sabbath is extremely important in the Gospel of Mark. Because when you read through the Gospel of Mark, the term for evening, like the end of the day, the term for evening is given six different times in the Gospel of Mark. Which means that the way the Gospel is put together, it's like it's seven days. It's as if the coming of Jesus is bringing a new creation story. And on the seventh day, that day comes after the resurrection of Jesus, which means the resurrection of Jesus brings the true Sabbath, brings true rest. So here's a story about Jesus that's given in seven-day explanation that leads to his resurrection, that leads to perfect rest. Verse 24, what happens from this? Verse 24, the Pharisees, so these religious leaders that Jesus was getting into this controversy with, the Pharisees were saying to him, hey look, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So what developed in the Jewish religion over time were 39 sections of law that explained what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you, you weren't allowed to tie a knot that was doing work. Uh, you weren't allowed to start a fire, so that impacted the way that, that you cooked. If you go to Israel, to Jerusalem today, there will be special elevators that on the Sabbath day, Jews who are observing the law, there are certain elevators that stop at every floor because to touch the button to make the elevator go to a particular floor is doing work and work is prohibited on the Sabbath. And so you get in the elevator, and it's like the annoying person that pushes every button to make the elevator stop at every floor. There are certain elevators on Sabbath day that are programmed to stop at every floor because you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. All of these laws have been built up. The question is, is that really what the Sabbath rest is supposed to be about? Jesus is gonna say no. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, Hey guys, have you ever read what David did? This is talking about Old Testament, King David. Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. In verse 25 don't miss this reference to David. This is a big deal in, in the Gospel of Mark because as Jesus comes in his ministry, the ministry of Jesus is fulfilling what King David began in the Old Testament. So what King David was intended to do but didn't do completely, Jesus is going to fulfill. So when Jesus says, hey, remember in the Old Testament what, what David did, what, what his followers did? My followers are doing the same thing, and it's a way of connecting Jesus back to David. David was the great king of Israel. Jesus will be the true king 
of Israel. In fact, it's how he will be identified when he's put on the cross. Verse 27, he said to them in verse 27, here's what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, guys, humans weren't created for the purpose of creating a bunch of rules that you've made up. Humans were created, and then God gave them the Sabbath so they could live the life that God had created them to live. The Sabbath is meant to be a gift, not a burden. When you read in the Old Testament and you find the Ten Commandments and you find the people told to keep the Sabbath, to to take a day off of work, to rest every week, one time in the Ten Commandments, that Sabbath command is connected back to the creation. That in the creation story, God rested on the seventh day. It's part of his character. It's about what he is all about. The other time that the Sabbath command is given, it's connected to the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament where God draws his people, rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt because he wanted them to know that they are not slaves whose job it is to work all the time. They are children of God, called to live in this world, to know him and to love him and to rest in him. Slaves, you can work all the time. Children are a gift meant for a relationship with the Father. And he has given them the Sabbath so they will remember him, so they will rest, so they will know how good he is. The Sabbath is not designed to get in the way of your family schedule. The Sabbath is a gift so that you would know and enjoy and worship and love God. And then in verse 28, Jesus really turns up the heat. Verse 28, he says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, if you haven't been with us through our study in the Gospel of Mark, I want you to know that that phrase, Son of Man, is Jesus' way of referring to himself. So when Jesus talked about his ministry, when Jesus talked about how he came to suffer and die and bring the kingdom of God, he would refer to himself as the Son of Man because he's picking up a phrase from the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7 about how one would come from God with divine power to bring the kingdom of God that would last forever. And Jesus is saying, hey, that promise from the Old Testament, that's me. (laughs) I have come as the Son of Man, which means I have authority over all things, including the law, including time. The Pharisees are arguing about rules. Jesus is arguing about who has authority who is ruling in the world. The Pharisees are having this argument down here about whether they're keeping the rules. Jesus is having the argument about do you know God? And do you know what God has come to do? And do you know the purpose of God's relationship with you? What does that look like? If Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Chapter three, verse one. I'm gonna show you what it looks like when Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Remember, that the chapter breaks in your Bible are given later. So sometimes the chapter breaks in your Bible don't come at the most logical, convenient places. So chapter three is continuing our Sabbath discussion. Chapter three, verse one. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So they come into the synagogue, 
they come into the place of, of worship, but also the community space that people would come in. And there's a man there who has a withered hand. Uh, this word for withered has the idea of being turned in, but also the hand being hard. It, it was a way of saying the hand couldn't be used. It was useless to do the work that, that you might do. So there's this man here who is cast to the side by people, alienated. He needs restoration. He's not able to do the work that God created him to do. But the Pharisees, they're not worried about him. They're not focused on the man in need. They're looking to Jesus to say, what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to step in and heal this man? Because if Jesus heals this man, he's breaking the Sabbath, according to the Pharisee rules. Because on the Sabbath, you were allowed to do emergency room medical work, but you weren't allowed just to do basic orthopedic work or, or that type of work. So if Jesus heals this man, according to the Pharisees, he's breaking the Sabbath rules. But they don't understand how much Jesus loves this man. And they also don't understand that what Jesus is about to do is he's going to show them the purpose of the Sabbath. He's going to show them the purpose of his coming. Verse 3, Jesus said, well, here's my chance. <laughs> here's my chance to explain what, what this is all about. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Come to me. It, it's safe. I'm going to care for you. You can come to me. I'm not pushing you aside. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not avoiding you come to me. And he said to the Pharisees, hey, think about this. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. This is the idea that Jesus is calling this man to faith. He's calling this man to trust him, that if he will come to Jesus, he will be healed, his hands will be healed, but his life will be restored. And he's calling the Pharisees to think about what is the purpose of the Sabbath? What is the purpose of the coming of Jesus? Verse five, look what happens in verse five. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. We're gonna talk about this more next week. We don't have time on Easter morning to, to do all of that, but we're gonna talk about that more next week. But he looks at them in their pride, how hard their hearts were, and he turned and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Okay, this is so fascinating in this verse. Don't miss the contrast that's happening here. The Pharisees, their hearts are hardened and they're not doing the work they should be doing of caring for people in need. However, the man who had the hard hand, whose hand was withered, who was not able to do work, his hand is released, so now he's free to do the work that God created him to do. The Pharisees are hardened, and the man who had the hard hand is set free to do the work. He's restored. He's healed. This is the purpose of the Sabbath. Now he's able to praise God. Now he's able to do this work. He trusts in Jesus. And I'm sure the Pharisees celebrated this. Like they were excited to see this man healed. Except that obviously they weren't. Verse 6, look, what, look at what the response is here. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him, how to destroy Jesus. Okay, this is one of those verses that should make perfect sense in our contemporary political climate because a common enemy will make strange bedfellows. Like people who don't agree on something at all, 
But if they can find a common enemy, all of a sudden they're working together to go after that, that particular enemy. The Pharisees, they were anti-Roman. They did not want Roman rule. They wanted the people, the Jewish people, to have independence, and they wanted to be able to follow their laws, and they were looking for the Messiah who would come and drive out the Romans. The Herodians, they were pro-Roman rule because that gave them power and influence. They wanted that. So you have an anti-Roman empire group, and you have a pro-Roman empire group who should hate each other, and they do, except now they have a common enemy they need to get rid of Jesus. And so they come together and they start to come up with these plans for how they will destroy Jesus. And this idea of destruction, this word destroy, connects to the ultimate death of Jesus later in the gospel. And the irony of this verse, the strange thing about Mark chapter three, verse six, is they actually succeed. They come together and they begin to make these conspiracies and make these plans that will lead to the death of Jesus. But here's what's so amazing. Their plans to destroy Jesus because he healed the man with the withered hand, their plans to destroy Jesus will actually lead to ultimate healing and ultimate restoration for people because it will lead to the cross and to the resurrection and the fullness of God's plans will come. So yes, they will destroy Jesus, but through that destruction will come hope and salvation and peace. Here's the good news of Easter for you this morning. Here's what we are aiming at this morning. Through the cross and resurrection, the power of sin and death has been defeated. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room, no matter your background, no matter your religious beliefs, no matter your family history, no matter what you've done in the past, every person in this room has two problems that on their own they can't overcome. Sin and death. Every one of us recognizes the brokenness of our life, the brokenness of the world. Every one of us faces the reality of death. And no matter how hard we try, we can't deal on our own with those two problems. But Jesus has, friend. Through the cross, he took our sin. He took the evil. He took the brokenness. He took the darkness. He died for us in our place. And through the resurrection, he defeated the power of death. We try to overcome our shame and our guilt and our fear, and we just can't do it on our own. But Jesus has. And because of that, he is able to give rest and peace and hope to your life that cannot come in any other way. And it's not just external rest, though that's good. It's internal rest that your life that feels like it's in chaos internally, maybe you're one of those people that's really good of keeping the outward appearance. Like nobody would know you're chaotic inside. Nobody would know you feel like things are falling apart inside because you're really good at keeping up the exterior. Jesus brings internal peace. And, and not just internal peace, but eternal peace that lasts forever. And so what that means for you is you're able to stop on your own power trying to hold your life together, or trying to get ahead, or trying to gain the whole world, but in the process you lose your soul. The story of Easter is a story of rest, a story of Sabbath, but not, not a one-day Sabbath, not a rule-keeping, but a Sabbath peace and rest that lasts forever, that's true of your life every moment. If you're here this morning, 
and you are tired and you're exhausted and you cannot hold your life together, that's the best place you can be because Jesus provides rest. He provides hope. He provides peace. What's our response to that? What, how, do we, how do we respond to that type of reality in Scripture? Well, it may be for some people here this morning that your response is what we would call salvation, that you would trust in Jesus to provide what you can never provide for yourself, what nothing in the world could ever provide for you, that you would just rest and say, I raised the right white flag, like I give up. I've tried, I've tried to get ahead in life, I can never get ahead in life, I feel exhausted, I don't know where to turn. Just put your hands up and know that in Christ you have rest, you have peace, not, not just for a couple of days, but for all of eternity that we were able to be saved. And if you're here this morning and you say, I know I'm a Christian, I, I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but I have not felt that peace lately. <laughs> I felt exhausted and I feel overwhelmed and I feel tired and I feel like things are out of control. That Easter for you this morning would be a reminder of the peace that Jesus gives the rest that he gives in your life, that, that maybe this Easter, God is calling you back to rest in him. Your life has been out of control. Your schedule has been out of control. And he's calling you back to church. He's calling you back to his word. He's calling you back to prayer. He's calling you back, frankly, to take some time off and relax and to remember he's in control, not you. If there's no resurrection, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if this whole Easter story is made up and it's just a preacher's presentation on, on Sunday morning, if there's no resurrection, eat, drink, live it up, because tomorrow we die and it's all over. But if there is a resurrection, and if there is an eternity, and if this story is true, it changes everything. Because we know that the only way we are able to confront sin and death is through Jesus, what he has done for us. That this morning, you would find rest and peace in him. Two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Are you, are you tired today? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Weary and burdened, like that, those are two words that, that many of us can sign up for at times in our life. When you're weary and burdened, what's the answer? Come to Jesus, I will give you rest. Take, take his yoke on your shoulders. He'll take care of you. He is humble and gentle toward us and you will find rest for your souls. My hope for you, whatever your family's facing, Whatever you're facing personally, my hope for you this Easter morning is that you would find rest and peace through Jesus. As we wrap up our service, we're going to sing a song, a, a contemporary hymn that our church loves to sing together. We're going to sing about focusing on Jesus. During this song, we're going to have people down here at the front who would love to be able to pray for you. We're gonna have people in the landing area below the stadium seating who would love to be able to pray with you. If you have questions about salvation, if you say, I don't really know right now that I'm ready to trust in Jesus, I I'm still have questions about Easter and the resurrection, but you just wanna talk to somebody or you want somebody to pray with you, there'll be someone here. If you're here this morning 
and you're a follower of Jesus and you are just absolutely exhausted and overwhelmed and feel like things have been out of control, can I call you this morning to come for prayer? To use this morning to remember the peace and the hope that Jesus brings, that this morning would be a chance for you to come back to him and experience that. Let me pray for us and we're gonna sing together this morning. Father, as we think about coming together on an Easter Sunday morning, there are a lot of reasons that we can come into this room feeling tired. Some of them just basic life. <laughs> life has been hard, there's been challenges going. Uh, but a lot of times the tiredness, it goes pretty deep in our lives. The feeling of exhaustion, of being overwhelmed, of just thinking, you know, what's coming next, that, that kind of thought. God, my hope is that this Easter would be about rest, would be about peace, would be about us letting go of trying to control our lives, of trying to overcome brokenness and, and deal with the reality of death in the world. And this Easter Sunday morning would be about us coming to Jesus. That because of the cross and the resurrection, we were able to have hope and we are able to have peace. Not only in this life, but for all of eternity. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who is not a follower of Jesus, but they have questions about rest, they have questions about peace, God, would you draw them this morning to, to turn to you, to begin that process? And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who's a follower of Jesus, but it's felt tough lately, it's felt exhausting, they feel overwhelmed, God, draw them to prayer, draw them to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.